0: Welcome to episode 284 of Live Happy Now. This is Paula Phelps, and this week we're going to talk about, well, the same thing everyone is talking about, elections. If you've been feeling a bit more stressed or anxious lately, you aren't alone. A new study by the American Psychological Association finds that this election is a significant source of stress for some 70% of Americans. The term election stress disorder was coined in 2016 by psychologist and author Stephen Stosny. It identifies the condition of anxiety and distress people were feeling. Now, the intensity of the current election has led to many people feeling overwhelmed by election stress disorder. So this week, we're talking to Aaron Wiley, a clinical psychotherapist and executive director of the Willow Center in Toledo, Ohio. Erin's here to explain how election stress disorder affects us and how we can avoid it. Erin, welcome back to Live Happy Now. It's such a pleasure to have you back on the show.
1: Yes, I'm super excited to be here again.
0: Election stress disorder is something that I've been reading a lot about, hearing a lot about. And so it seemed like something we need to talk about. And you popped into my head (laughs) as the person who really could deal with it. So I wanted to know, first of all, what is election stress disorder?
1: Well, it's when you're having some pervasive symptoms where they last over time. It's not something where you have like a bad day or you're just like frustrated. It's when you start to have symptoms that echo or mirror depression, anxiety, PTSD, and you're noticing it affecting your life in significant ways. Things like having trouble concentrating at work, not wanting to hang out with friends, wanting to sleep more than usual, not being able to sleep, having an increased appetite usually for junky foods that make you feel better or feeling so sick to your stomach and stress that you can't eat at all. Those are a handful of things that people might experience.
0: You know, we've been through elections before, and I think the the term election stress disorder was actually created in 2016. And it seems like we haven't really gotten past the 2016 stress disorder, like it's just gone on for four years. And it's just continued to build up. For um,
1: sure. I mean, I remember after the last election, I called off work and canceled all my patients the next day and was going to stay home. And then my friend took me out for a massage. And I think we all just walked around like a bunch of zombies. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and we've been doing that since. <laughs> mm-hmm. For real. Mm-hmm. So what is it? That is happening because, as I said, we've had elections before and we've had disagreements over candidates before, but this has become so divisive and it's affecting people physically. I read that after the last election, incidents of heart attacks went up significantly Mm -hmm. in the day of the election and in the few days following it. So what is driving it to make this so different and affect us so hard?
1: Well, I think for many people, right, to be honest, those of us that maybe lean toward progressive beliefs, there's been a lot of anxiety the last few years because things have looked really bleak for progress and that causes a lot of anxiety, mostly feeling powerless I mean, one of the surest ways to induce depression is to leave someone feeling like they have absolutely no power and that they're a victim. And that will shut people down emotionally because that's how you conserve energy. When you're a victim and you're locked in a cage and you can't get out, you stop fighting at some point and you just sit there and take it which they had you know, great studies in the 60s and 70s that they did with dogs in particular, Martin Seligman, where he showed, yeah, if you feel like you are stuck, you just emotionally shut down. It's like an emotional hibernation. We can't stay anxious and up and panicky for a super long amount of time without eventually heading down into depression. So I think people feel a lack of power or control and that leaves us feeling like victims. And in some ways we have been. And that is a terrible place to be.
0: It is. And I know so many, I think it'd be easier to say, I don't know anyone who's not suffering from this at some level. Mm -hmm. And
1: yeah, let's, I mean, to be fair, my uh, more conservative parents, I'm sure are super stressed out because they're getting a real beating from all their kids who won't leave them alone. Like neither side (laughs) is happy right now. Neither side is doing well.
0: Right. 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 And that's what I've noticed. Yeah, that that even my conservative friends are their level of anxiety is so high and it brings about this trash talking, which I'm not a trash talker. I didn't do sports. I never got into that kind of thing. So the trash talking that goes on, even when they're doing it with a thin veneer of a smile, yeah. affecting people.
1: Oh, yeah. I just opened Facebook a little bit ago just to, you know, check in, see what's going on. And boy, is there an ugly fight going on. on one of the nicest girls that I know Facebook page because, you know, everybody's putting their political beliefs out there. And then you bait people and then the angry people or people who disagree take your bait and they start fighting. And then typically it seems like some people that's what they want or they want they want to show people what they believe. And so they're willing to fight. It just is so ugly and a giant waste of time, I think, because as most of us know, that's emotional and we're not changing anyone's minds doing that. It doesn't work. So I just think it leads to more stress and frustration. I even, I mean, here's a a pro tip from a therapist. (laughs) I was just looking through her page, reading it and getting so mad and then wanting to either like or not like certain comments to like, you know, join the fight and like gang up and like show who, which side has more power. And A, as someone who owns my own business, I try to refrain from that because I know people who are emotionally dysregulated will look up businesses and business owners and slam them on Google. So I try to avoid that as a professional, but also more importantly, just as a person and an emotional human being, which we all are, I I might've even said out loud to myself, get out of this, get out back up, get out. Because it is pointless. All it does is raise your blood pressure, constrict your arteries. Like you said, heart attack symptoms. It is not healthy or good. So we all get sucked into those because the emotion, we just feel so passionately about these issues. Mm -hmm. And so, and when you get that emotional, it's hard to think with your rational brain. And so I have to sometimes say to myself out loud, I say, okay, you're done, shut it down, done.
0: (laughs) Well, how do you, unplug from that noise and that conflict because we've got another problem I want to talk to you about, which is COVID-19 and all the lockdowns. So for so many people, that social media is the way that we're staying connected. So it's like you want to stay connected with your friends and family, but then you end up getting mad and having all this stress as a result. So how do you manage all that?
1: That's a great question. So one thing that I do before I get on social media is I take a moment to be mindful and I like say to myself, okay, what is your intent? And sometimes it's very specific. Like I need to check my messages because people will message me in town when they're looking for a therapist in other ones i'm going to send a picture to my sister of one of my kids so before i get on because man you get in there and it's like crap happening all over and you and there's like lights and flickering blinking and colors and noises social media is designed to keep us hooked in so it's high stimulation. And from the second I open Facebook, I want to scroll and I see someone says something and I want to read what people are saying. It is almost like you're putting on protection and then you're running into like a burning building. Like, what is my point? (laughs) Um, And so I make a decision of what I'm doing. I suppose you could also probably set a timer for yourself so that your phone or something buzzes and you remember your original intention because often we get sidetracked. But I go in and I try to get the thing done And then get out of there. So if you're trying to connect with someone, instead of scrolling, scrolling, scrolling endlessly, and then getting sucked into wormholes, go find your person, send them a message, look at their page and get out.
0: Mm -hmm. I've seen people who post things like, if you don't agree with XYZ, then just unfriend me now. What is that doing to us?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's super hard because I tend to be that passionate. And so I understand that. When I see my friends, particularly my friends who are LGBTQ, and they're saying, if you're going to vote against me and my family, like I'm married, we have children, and you're going to vote in a way that, in my opinion, jeopardizes the future health of my family, my children, my marriage, our standing as a couple, as a family, then I don't want you as a friend anymore. And I understand that. That makes sense to me. I guess, you know, if we were going to go so far as to stretch ourselves ultimately to the other side and to consider that point of view, I think we have to understand that people who vote differently than we do sincerely believe like no one's voting because they're going to try to ruin America right? Or because they want to hurt people. They really believe that whatever the platform of their candidate is, that it is better for most people, if not everyone, definitely for them. But I really do think that they believe it's the best way. And it is hard when it feels like it's not right. We're not talking about like whether we think the downtown should be repaved and had the parking made <laughs> different. Like We're talking about big issues right. like women's rights to control their body and certainly LGBTQ issues Amongst others, immigration, just things that people feel are human rights. And so it does make sense to me that people say that. I think one of the things we risk is losing touch completely with anyone from the other side. And then you end up like living in a box where it's just you and your people and you're all, you know, patting each other on the back for believing all the good and right stuff. As I've often thought to myself, even if this country was so divided that we went ahead and split it down the middle and we said, whether, whatever, like North and South, East and West. We just said people who'd lean more progressive be on this half, and people who are more conservative, you be on this half. Immediately, what would happen with both halves are you'd have progressive conservatives and conservative conservatives and progressive liberals and conservative liberals, and it would happen again. <laughs> because that is just how things are. It's a spectrum, and people want to take sides. America's huge into sports. And so people are obsessed with being on teams. I think we grow up encouraging people to cheer and fight for their side and be on divisive teams. And then it comes to this politically and we all go, this is so unhealthy. And I think this is what you bred your children for.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. We're, we're ready for the fight. you know, For
1: sure. For sure.
0: So how do you have political conversations? How do you have those kind of conversations without it turning into a, you have to listen to me Mm -hmm. tell you how wrong you are and talk about it on a more like on a value-based level? Is that even possible at this point?
1: Sure. I mean, the first thing would be you have to decide if it's someone you can actually engage with. If someone is so emotionally dysregulated that they're furious and hysterical and they want a name call and like you can't reason with someone who's not in an emotionally balanced place. If it's friends and family, I also think you have to decide if that, how important is it to you to bring that up? Like if it's super important enough for you to not have a relationship with those people, then is it worth engaging in debates with those people? Most of us still have relationships with our family, in which case you have to decide, do you want to debate politics with them or not? Because no one is Changing anyone's mind. <laughs> like it just isn't happening right now. Right. Um, I would say that if it makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to have the discussion, you either set a boundary up front and say, okay, we're coming to Thanksgiving or we're going to do Zoom Christmas. But like as soon as it gets political, I'm going to shut it down. And if people keep engaging, like I'm not sticking around, FYI, just making my thoughts known on where I stand on this. And then, you know, you have to follow through. If it gets that way, then get out. If that's what you think is healthiest for you. So I think it's about setting some boundaries and letting people know where you stand and enforcing them because it's hard to set boundaries, but it's also hard to enforce them. The reason we have trouble setting boundaries is because we try to be nice and we try to be accommodating and we want to let people talk and we don't want to upset people and we hate conflict, but inevitably setting a boundary, especially if you're someone who doesn't typically or hasn't before will create conflict because people are used to you not having boundaries and they will not like the fact that they cannot continue their behavior. Mm -hmm. So letting people know where you stand. If you do want to engage, on the other hand, with someone in political discourse and you feel like it could be productive or you really sincerely not only want to make your point heard, because we all do, but you want to genuinely understand without shaming a person why they believe what they believe, then I think the first thing is to like come to it in a way where you decide you're going to be emotionally regulated and you're going to try to not engage in the emotional part of it and that you're going to try to keep it factual. That's difficult, but not impossible. The The imagination exercise that I do in my head, like the visualization is, I imagine that I'm in my normal regular body and everything's like color like normal but then i will step to the side of myself and imagine i'm in an old black and white movie like an old timey reporter and i'll take notes i'll just listen like i'm just factually taking notes because that's almost what you have to do is completely get out of yourself and just listen to what they're saying because if you process it it can make you emotional so i just like make a list of what they're saying if they say they believe this is best for these reasons and this has been their experience you just List it and then step back in yourself and you validate it. You say, so you believe that this legislation would be bad for people because X, Y, Z. And so that leads you to feel like this is a better candidate because you feel like they'll represent your viewpoint better and you just validate it back.
0: But that is not easy. I was going to say that I love that exercise. I love the visual that that gives of stepping out and taking notes. but again, that seems like something that's going to take some practice. (laughs)
1: Oh, for sure. And you know the great place to practice it is with your friends and family because they love you and you're close to them and you see them all the time. The first time I ever came up with that myself was when I was having a fight with my husband. And we are not fighters. Well, when we were young, we were, right? We don't fight often. We disagree and we say our piece and then we're done. When you're young, sometimes you just Kind of can't stop engaging.
0: So, <laughs> but I have one more point.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, and you're going to listen to it. Um, but so recently, I mean, a couple of years ago, we were, he was, we were not agreeing about something. And I, I knew I was right because we were talking about something that was in my mind. So I felt really confident. I knew what I was talking about, but he was so sure that he knew what I was thinking. And I thought this will never end because he thinks he's right. And I know he's not. And he doesn't want to believe that he could be wrong. And so I thought, okay, this is going to require you acting like the therapist that you are and doing things that you tell other people to do. And I thought, just validate him. But all I could do was like, I couldn't think straight. And I thought, you've got to separate yourself from this. So I just pretended I was a reporter taking notes on everything you had to say. And <laughs> it worked great because when I came back and said, okay, so you believe this, you feel this, this, this was your experience, even if it wasn't mine. And I think validating people generally will sway them to at least be warm toward you. They may, they're probably not going to agree necessarily with your point of view, but they may be willing to hear it in a way that they won't when it's confrontational and argumentative.
0: That makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, it, it's it's hard to do, but boy, if we mm-hmm. can do that, think of how it can save us over time. Um, yeah, for sure. Some of the damage that I'm seeing being done to relationships really seems irreparable. I've got two brothers, they're closest in age, the two oldest brothers in my family, and they are no longer speaking.
1: Mm-hmm. We have that in my family too. Yeah, yeah, it's really unfortunate, but it's that divisive. And I think for many of us, you know, once we get to be 50, you know, like over 50, I think you start realizing how few years there are left and how you cannot, I mean, you know, you start having people pass away in their 50s and 60s and you think, oh, this, there's a limited, there's an expiration date on this gig. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you think, is it worth not speaking to my father, mother, brother, sister over? political things. And I think we tend to grow a little less hot-headed as we get older and be a little more balanced. But it is, it's, it's unfortunate. But I do think that politicians can play a part in that. I'm thinking back to, and I don't want to say this incorrectly, but I'm pretty sure it was Obama, being at some rallies where either A, people start screaming things against him and he would say, It's America, let him talk, instead of calling them names or mocking them. Politicians can try and enforce civility and set an example. For constituents, when you talk about your opposing candidate and everyone in the audience boos, you can say, okay, listen, guys, this person's not a villain. We don't have to like what they believe, but they're a human and they have a family, right? We don't need to harass them. Wow. Wouldn't that be novel?
0: Yeah. Do you think we could ever get back to that?
1: (laughs) You know, I mean, it's a great question. It's like, When you, I mean, it reminds me, as I look at social trends, you think of that there was a time where we did not have reality TV and then it came on the air and people were obsessed with the voyeurism to actually watch live, regular, normal people doing what they do. And then it just got absolutely like went off the deep end. The craziest challenges you can think, the most outrageous situations, putting families or people in houses and provoking them and turning them against each other just to get exciting television so they can make money. From advertisers, it doesn't seem like it, like that's it, we're done, we did it. Like, it's that's where we're at. And so, yeah, like, can you go backward when you get to the basis level and start to appeal to it? I don't know. I feel like in some ways we've definitely hit a low with how politicians. Act, and I think most of you know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, like, <laughs> like someone very specific who behaves so poorly, so badly, so irreverently, immaturely, in unhealthy ways. And then people see that as a role model and they feel that they can emulate and that that's an okay thing to do. I would like to think that once power is wrestled back from someone in particular who is not healthy, that maybe it could get better.
0: So as individuals, how do we keep from getting down in that sandbox and going low? I mean, that's what's happened.
1: I mean, I don't know. Let me ask you if you don't mind sharing, like, do you struggle with that?
0: Because I do what with not with arguing or the yeah
1: like yeah like wanting to jump in and say stuff or, or like having a family member that you disagree with and wanting to post stuff or send them messages or whatever
0: every day
1: okay thank <laughs> I mean, you okay so I'm like you thinking, it I'm is like-
0: it's it's just i have to get off facebook like i i do it's- i get riled up really quickly and as the election gets closer my fuse is shorter
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, thank you. I was thinking like, am I just the unhinged therapist here? Because I... <laughs>
0: that would be a great... Man, wouldn't that be a great single for you? i like,
1: the therapist. I don't know if many people want to go to an unhinged therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, so I do think um, one thing to do is walk away from media, especially if you already feel very confident that you know who you're voting for. Repetitive, nonstop, 24-hour election cycle adrenalized media stories will provoke your nervous system into fight or flight. Sorry, I'm having trouble. It's a, oh my gosh. Siri hearing me and she's talking to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she probably wonders why I'm having so much distress. Has um,
0: some, it, Siri has some things to say about the election. Clearly, too.
1: yes. Um, but so it, it will provoke you and it will put you into fight or flight mode. So, you know, I'm thinking, what is the point of that? Why would you do that to yourself? Most of us do it out of habit. We open Facebook out of habit. We turn on the phone or, or phones. We put on TV. We go to certain websites out of habit. And if we can stop long enough to question the things we do and ask ourselves, you know, okay, why am I doing this? Is this good for me? Is it because I'm bored? Is it because it's just a habit and I always turn on the TV when I come home? Maybe I don't need to watch this. And I find even if you mess it up and you are watching something and it's upsetting you, you can turn it off. I was in the middle of watching something the day and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. This is just upsetting me. What is the point of this? Mm-hmm. So being really mindful about the choices that you're making. Also, I think if you really wanted to extend yourself and be a more peaceful and balanced person, self-talk, I think is a super helpful skill. You're driving and you see a sign of a political person you don't like, and you can shake your head, be disgusted, wonder who lives there, want to find out who lives there, or you can just decide like, I'm not engaging. I'm not, people can believe what they believe.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not engaging. No, oh, that's that- a- Great. Take tip.
1: practice. Yeah, that takes practice.
0: Yeah, <laughs> another one. There's so much practice. We're getting so much practice this year. That's yeah, what's uh, fantastic. That, that's,
1: that is the truth.
0: <laughs> so, there's also concerns with election stress disorder because it doesn't end on election day. And no mm-hmm. matter which way this goes, people are nervous. I know a woman who teaches meditation and she was trying to get out of the country for that week of the election because. She just feels it's going to be so bad for us in terms Mm -hmm. of the results. Like just whichever way it goes, there's going to be uprisings and protests and anger. Mm -hmm. That's Um, a good point. So how do we deal with that as it unfolds?
1: I am a fan of like prepare. Work toward what you want and prepare, hopefully, for the good, but expect that things won't always go your way. And so I think especially, especially if you are really involved in a campaign, whether you are running or you're helping someone with the campaign, or you're just part of um, a Democrat or Republican Party, and you're making phone calls all the time, you feel very much associated with it. You're not just an outside observer or just a citizen. You are trying to influence policy and change. And so there's a lot at stake emotionally. And when you lose, I mean, it feels like a death. Mm-hmm. So to be able to Spend some time preparing your mind for the fact that you can run as hard as you want. You can make all the phone calls. You can try to influence your friends. You can post all the stuff on Facebook and have all the fights or pass out the literature. But in the end, it is a consensus and there is an electoral college and that is the way it is. So preparing yourself for the worst, I think in some ways, I think there's something for me about saying Things may continue the way they are, and that might just be the way it is. And how do I wrap my brain around what that looks like that day and the following weeks? Self-care, doing things that are value-based, like if you really believe strongly in helping people who are immigrants, whether the election goes your way or not. To be able to step forward in meaningful ways that you can contribute and you can have power again, I think is really helpful. So volunteer, or if you're a super busy person like me, give money to causes that you know will advance the things that are important to you, regardless of how the election goes.
0: That's terrific advice. And and what about are there any practices like like mindfulness or anything like that that yeah, we absolutely. should start doing now and then make sure that we're pretty rooted in because we could get thrown and even if for people who the election does go the way they want, there's still going to be some upheaval.
1: Sure. Yeah, for sure. I started meditating solidly about half a year ago at the beginning of COVID, and I probably do it three to five times a week. And I really was just literally noticing today, randomly waiting for a doctor's appointment, how in tune I feel with my body and how aware I am of my breathing and how calm my breathing was just in that moment of checking in with myself. And I thought this might finally be the payoff six <laughs> months of meditation and i'm finally making some progress so absolutely and now i know we won't take everyone that long and if you meditate longer than i just do short amounts of time like 10 minutes then you may experience there's a neurological pruning that happens where your brain does change right its neuroplasticity you can grow new connections of calmness and of being aware of your body and your mind and your emotions and how they're connected from meditating. And the reactive parts of your brain can and will die off so that you are changing the way your brain is structured and works. So meditation for sure. And when I think of meditation for myself personally, as a therapist, we do a lot of body work. It's a newer thing for therapists in the last decade, where instead of just speaking about our problems, we're really recognizing how trauma and past memories are stored in the body and how we carry anxiety or depression physically in our body. And so to meditate in such a way that you expand your awareness of your physical self and pay attention to it and work on a feedback loop of, I feel stressed, my shoulders are tense. What can I do to relax them? I can do self-massage. I can breathe Relaxation into that part of my body in a visualization. If you're doing meditation that's more than just sitting in silence trying to clear your mind, which is also a great thing, but if you're doing it in a way that's connected to your breath, your body, your tension, pain, muscle memory, I think that you can develop greater resilience for whatever comes ahead. Because even if, you know, in air quotes, your team wins. It's still America. It's still divisive. There's going to be anger on the other side that's going to be ugly, and we are going to have to live in that space for a while.
0: Yeah, that's really great advice. We have some tough times ahead, you know, and, and we still have COVID going on, a lot of concerns as we go into the fall and winter and what that's going to look like. So all of these tips will help with managing all of the stress that that's coming up in the next few months. Mhm. Well, Aaron, thank you for sitting down and talking with me today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I think you've given us some good, good things to think about and to put into action.
1: Oh, well, thanks. It's a joy to share the things we know with people, especially when it helps them.
0: That was psychotherapist Erin Wiley, Executive Director of the Willow Center in Toledo, Ohio, talking about coping with election stress disorder. If you'd like to learn more about Erin or follow her on social media, visit us at livehappynow.com and follow the links. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.